Hello, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Kenita Skripsma, and I'm the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting. Today here on Growing Forward Together, we are going to start to unpack understanding culture, helping people understand culture and get beyond skin color. And the reason I'm doing this is because one, my company, SEMA Global Consulting, is really passionate about helping individuals grow forward in this particular area. In the last 30 years that I have lived in the US, my observation is that the race conversation is often at the heart of many debates, while cultural understanding seems to be ignored and often misunderstood. So I believe that we need to do a better job of understanding the culture of a person or people group so we can grow forward together, all the while remembering and learning about systemic ways people are oppressed. On countless occasions, I have tested and observed the dynamic between race and culture and realized that in many situations, the problem isn't race, but instead culture. Let me quickly define race and culture before we get any further. So race basically is uh, a construct that is based on physical characteristics, a shared ancestry and common features. That's the simple, for, simple version of it. Culture on the other hand is based on customs, social behaviors and attitudes. And so often because we are visual people, we tend to focus on what we see and then we make up our minds about it. Instead of taking the time to get to know a person and kind of get behind what's really going on, what might be in their culture that they're bringing into this conversation. So today's guest is uh, my dear friend, Grace Kelly. Uh, she was born and raised in Kenya and has lived in the US for the past 10 plus years. Her husband, Corey, is African-American, and together they navigate the journey of understanding culture while balancing race relations in this country. Grace is also a staff accountant at Dwelling Place of Grand Rapids, which is a nonprofit that creates affordable housing, essential support services, and they act as a catalyst for neighborhood revitalization. So just because Grace and I are friends, doesn't mean that's why I have her on here, although that's really a great gift. It's really because her passion for unpacking race and culture in her community and in her friendship circles and in her workplace is at the heart of everything that she does. And so we have that in common and often our conversations go on for hours. So we will do our best to keep our conversation under an hour today, right Grace? Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> we'll try. Um, but yeah, hey, thanks for being on here today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you um, on this podcast so folks can kind of get a better handle on, you know, what, what is about race and culture and then just hear a little bit how, about how your story weaves into what, what can be a really, really difficult topic for a lot of people to un unpack. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about race and culture. So what are some feelings that come to mind when you hear those words? Um, man, I think for the last year or so, I think I'm going to talk about race and culture separately. Sounds good. Um, so when I hear the word race, um, my feelings about it in the last year, maybe even a little bit more, have just been a lot more intense and loaded and heavy with all the racial tension that has occurred in 2020 and is happening now. Um, and I'm mainly feeling exhausted and sometimes very angry. Sure. Uh, Those are real. Actually, 
Yeah, so right now the Derek Chauvin trial for George Floyd's murder is going on Mm -hmm. um, and it's been hard to read about it and I've had to create space to exhale. And of course the Atlanta shooting where the eight Asian uh, women were murdered has weighed heavily on my heart. Um, and my heart is breaking for my Asian friends. And it just reminds me of all the conversations I've had in 2020 um, with work or church groups. And it's just, it's very exhausting and it's very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just sad to see how racism has continued to be perpetuated in this country. Um, and when I think about culture, um, I think my feelings about it have also been different in the I think I think that would probably be more um, in the last five years, just because I've not lived in the culture I was born in in Kenya for a few years now, and I've had to really define what that means for me um, in my marriage, in my friendships, um, with even even with my faith as well. Um, So I would say it's mixed feelings for both race and culture, but Mm. overall, I'm extremely proud to be. A black person. I'm proud to be Kenyan, and I'm so grateful for the diverse experiences that I've had um, through different friends and just through life in general. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that, and I hear you on the exhausted front, right? And you know, I might not have the same narrative as you or other black people in this country, but to see how um, how heavy it's been for you all, and as sisters, I guess, right? Really good friends too. It's something that I carry with you and I stand with you and I feel that pain and I experience it in different ways, but it's still similar in that we're on the same side, if you will, um, we're women of color. And so um, it has been very exhausting. I think some of the conversations in the past year have been helpful. um, And yet, you know, even as of late, you and I were talking about a conversation uh, where a, a friend of mine did not know that I'm actually not white. Yeah. And so, you know, we won't go into details about that necessarily, but it just was really alarming that we've been friends for a while and to kind of have that come out. Right. So even though we are maybe talking race or people do talk about it in the race context, they're actually referring to cultural things and, you know, stuff that's, it's all mixed in, it's multi-layered. So uh, multi-layered. So I think all of us have gotten a great education in the past year around race, were there some messages that you received growing up that have fed this or how did that play out as a young woman who's black and now living in the States? Um, I don't think I knew I was black until I moved to America. And that was about when I was 10 years old, I moved here with my family. Um, And I didn't know that being black here was, not always received well for people, by people. Um, And the reason why I figured that out was when we moved here, um, I was in fifth grade. And my first experience was a white boy calling me the N-word. And that's, Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I actually didn't know what it meant. Okay. Um, Because we don't have that in Kenya. We're all black. So, and that word doesn't have the same connotation in Kenya as it does here. So somebody else had to explain that to me and what that meant. And that's when I started to realize, oh, my skin color is going to affect how people see me and treat me. Um, 
yeah, I think that's, I think that's when I first figured out the layers of that. And then coming from a culture where that wasn't a thing and trying to navigate, not just being black, but not also being an immigrant and what that mm. brought to the table and different language, different food that I was bringing to lunch. It's just so many different emotions and so many different feelings and having to navigate that as um, a 10 year old was just, it was difficult, but it has taught me a lot. Sure. Yeah. I can relate. You know, I came to Canada when I was five years old um, and then moved to the States in my mid to early 20s. And navigating some of those cultural nuances were pretty challenging. I was, you know, grew up in an Indian home, but everything I was involved with was in our neighborhood, in our community, and my schools were very multi-ethnic. So it felt like a very safe place, right? And then coming to the U.S. and learning how to manage some of that navigate those waters, actually different waters, um, was very challenging. So what are some, can you, do you remember what were some of the things that you did to navigate assimilation into American culture? Yeah. um, I think when we first moved here, when I was 10, the, the main thing that I did to assimilate was the way I speak, right? So Mm -hmm. if you hear me talking on the phone or even listen to this podcast you wouldn't tell that I'm Kenyan or even the the fact that I'm black Um, so for me to change and it was work to get this American accent it was survival Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to sound like my white counterparts I wanted to blend in I was already sticking out because I was one of the very very few black students in school or even in the neighborhood um So I did a lot to make sure that I blended in. And one of the biggest things that I changed was how I spoke. So I even started speaking English at home to my parents. Um, And I do have some regrets about that now because I realized that it made my mother tongue a lot weaker. I can still Mm. speak and I can still communicate with my grandparents, thankfully. But um, yeah, I think changing the way that I speak, taking sandwiches to school for lunch instead of of taking the food that my mom cooked at home or asking to buy clothes from a certain place instead of wearing the clothes that I brought from Kenya. Um, Yeah, I think those were the biggest things that I did to assimilate back then. And then when I, because I moved back to Kenya for a short time um, in high school, And so when I came back for college, um, I didn't really try to assimilate anymore. I think I had that experience when I was younger and it was a lot of work to be two different people. Um, So by the time I was going to college, I was, um, we were actually put into a group of um, international students and that's just who I gravitated towards and my whole college experience I can count how many non-international friends I had and that was that was also I guess another way to survive as well um, but it was just a space for me to feel safe I was able to thrive I was able to appreciate my culture whether we were able to share our food or music or language I was just able to be with people who understood me and who got mm-hmm. it what it was like to um, live in America and um, trying to navigate this world. Yeah, it is. It's such a learning curve, hey, when we're thinking about assimilation and 
I just want to define that a little bit more clearly here for people who might not understand it or have a clear picture of what assimilation really is. And assimilation is the process of taking in and fully understanding information or ideas. It's the absorption and integration of people, ideas, or culture into a wider society or culture, right? And the process of becoming similar to something or like something. It's very voluntary. Wouldn't you agree mm -hmm. with assimilation is very voluntary yes. whereas and then there's forced assimilation and many people think oh we don't force people to assimilate but we do right that becomes the involuntary side of it and um so it's a similar to assimilation as i described it but it's the involuntary process of cultural assimilation which basically shows a complete disregard for one's ethnic and cultural background and the expectation that a person becomes like the culture that they live in, in its mm -hmm. entirety. So when you're referring to, you know, language, um, I can relate to that as well. I know, and, and some of that is, you know, I came to Canada when I was five. So my language center wasn't fully developed yet and I was still learning, but I was quickly picking up uh, clearer English, if you will, as I was told. And then as time went on, um, I was, you know, people would note that, oh, well, you don't have an accent. Yeah. Right. It's if they would ask me, where are you from? Um, which for my listeners, I want you to know, we've changed that sentence. We've changed that question a lot to say, where did your story start? So if you're wondering if you should ask somebody where are they from, maybe next time try, where did your story start? So when I had was growing up and then was asked, you know, where are you from? And I would tell them their automatic reaction was, well, you don't have an accent. Mm -hmm. I've had and that I almost too. thought that was bad. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Did I forget something? Was this something that I'm supposed to have? Like, you know, we're children. We're young. We're not sure. We're impressionable. And yet when we speak clearly, if you will, it's kind of what people assume is the only way, the right way. And uh, it's, it's a struggle for some folks to understand accents. And then they don't um, or then they think that we are doing proper English and maybe we really aren't from where we say we are from because we don't have an accent, you know? Yeah. So I've also been told, like I had a phone conversation with somebody and then I showed up for an appointment and they're like, huh, I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> so that forced yeah. assimilation, right? You talked about image a little bit and that fits in with language as well. Yeah. Right. As you're yeah. navigating that water. Um, yeah. What were some of the challenges you found in that space, though? Like, as you're navigating into the American culture, did you jump in both feet? Was there a sense of identity crisis, if you will? Um, I think the identity crisis is happening a lot more now than it did back then. I think back then was just survival. I mean, I was just a 10-year-old trying, to, trying sure. to figure out this new country, yeah. this new language, new food, everything. So, like, I, I think... The identity crisis is happening more now because um, when I'm here, I'm not American enough because, right. you know, I, I if I'm not really in the mood, I have to tell people, oh, I'm from here and they'll still question it. So clearly <laughs> I'm not American enough. Right. Um, and then when I'm in Kenya, because I've lived in the States for um, several years now, I, I look like them and I can fit in and I can speak the language, but I, I think they can still tell that there's a little bit of a disconnect. So I think sure. I do have a little bit of like my feet are in both places mm -hmm. um, and just trying to create that identity for myself and know that I am still Kenyan and I have Americanized ways now because right. where I'm, I live now. Um, but I think when I was younger, when I was like 10 and 
um, 10 to 16, I, I don't remember it. Um, I don't remember it having an I don't remember having an identity crisis. It was more of I'm, I just need to survive. I just need to make it because kids are mean. Okay. <laughs> yep. yep. And you know, honestly, kids are mean, right? But then I thought, oh, it'll be easier when I'm an adult because oh, yeah. adults know better. And you're oh, right. Yeah. I also have experienced more racism, more culturalism, more um, you know, genderism, and a whole slew of other things as an adult more than when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. I just think that. You know, that's mind boggling a little bit because if the adults are the ones that are supposed to change the world or be the change they want to see, quoting Gandhi, then mm. maybe the kids have it right. Maybe they're a little bit more like wiser than us adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I was thinking of a little story where um, we we're talking about being American. Like, what does an American look like? Mm-hmm. What does a Canadian look like? What does, you know, if you're thinking of any of the Western countries that have immigrants living there, what do we really look like? And um, I became, you know, I became an American citizen last year after being in this country for almost 28 years. And I remember I was talking to a friend recently about this because it made me realize that after I became a US citizen, I said to my husband, who's white, Dutch and American, as you know, um, Mm -hmm. but I said to him, I was nervous to be an American. And he said, why? I said, because I don't have my green card proving that I'm allowed to be in this country. Mm. right it was almost like that green card was a bit of a comfort thing that I had something on me that would prove that I'm a you you know I'm a green card holder yeah and, and you carry it everywhere I carry it everywhere right and yeah. you know, so my friend was asking me she's like well how often did you carry it I said everywhere it sat right um, behind my license yeah right I not, exactly I could not leave the house without it and and that's what I did for like 27 28 years and so now all of a sudden not having it I said to him, I'm like, how am I going to tell them that I'm American? Like, I need, I need to be okay. You know, so he jokingly said, that's why you've got me, babe. Well, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, we're not having that conversation right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, like finding ways to, to find safety and comfort and peace. And especially in this last year with, you know, racial, um, you know, someone was saying the other day, do you think it's heightened or do you think it's more exposed? I think it's right. exposed. Yeah, I think it's more exposed. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Right? Sure. Do you feel? Is that what you're thinking as well? Yep, I would agree. Yeah, it's exposed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's high time, right? I remember um, somebody was asking me, "Why do you always use negative scenarios about the U.S.? Mm. Did you never experience racism in Canada?" Mm. And you know, I did. Of course, I did. But again, like I said earlier, it's I was a kid, so I kind of figured it's a rough world out there. And, you know, I, I, it's going to be hard, but when I grow up and when I be an adult, it's going to be different and mm-hmm. it's wow. different. All right. Yeah. <laughs> different, all right. <laughs> so what would you say are some challenges that you've experienced as a black woman now? Right. I mean, you're Kenyan. We, you and I have talked about this off air quite a bit because it's just a great conversation for us to have. And for me to learn yeah. through your eyes, through your narrative, but you're a Kenyan woman and you're a black woman. And in this country, being black and African-American is different than being Kenyan woman. Yeah. Can you unpack that and simplify it? In, or if you can simplify it, and I don't mean that in a, in a way of saying water it down, I'm saying yeah. it in the sense of help us understand. We wanna make sense of this. Oh, I, I will try, I'll do my best. And, and um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not your whole word that's a corner on the market, but your true. narrative matters and it kind of helps us 
learn more about, especially for those folks who don't have any people of color in their story or have no black friends, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, I think um, being black and being Kenyan, right? Because when I'm walking down the street, nobody's gonna ask, are you African-American or are you Kenyan, right? They right. just assume that I'm African-American. Actually, that happened at the doctor's the other day. She just oh. assumed that I was, she was giving me some instructions and she assumed that I was African-American and I had to correct her that I'm Kenyan, not because there's anything wrong with being African-American, but there's different things that I grew up with that could affect the way that my body works. Absolutely, agreed. Yes, yes, um, true. And my genetics are different too. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that, that has been odd to try to figure out where I fit into this conversation as a Kenyan because I didn't grow my I didn't grow up here my whole life so the um the history like I just like I said I learned what the n-word was when I was in fifth grade my mm -hmm. husband on the other side who's African-American has known that since he, since he could speak what that meant um so it's just trying to figure out where do I fit into this conversation as somebody who doesn't have the history um but is still being affected by it by living in America sure um so you know, I mean, for the many years I've been here, there are people who've said um, too much of something. I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. Oh. I'm too passionate, Same. which is basically <laughs> like angry black woman, oh. you know, and I've had those several encounters, you know, from the mm -hmm. time I was 10 to the time that I'm now as a working adult, I've had to advocate for myself, you know, whether it's in the workplace, I yeah. have to Oh, even with my doctor, I have to have really difficult conversations that most people don't have to have. You know, mm -hmm. I have to ask my doctor, what care do you have for me as not just a, um, a woman, but as a black woman and a woman who is, is from Africa? Um, do you know what I need? Is there anything that I need to tell you so that you can take better care of me? You know, just having those difficult, difficult conversations. And then at work, just learning how to, um, tone not tone it down but like not not put people on edge I guess and it's basically if because if I'm too passionate then oh I'm an angry I'm an angry black woman oh, sure. um and I, I think I've talked to you about that before I've had yeah. experiences where somebody has asked me a question and I have um responded and um you know and the response I thought I was being passionate or I was I, I, I probably was intense about the situation of being passionate about it, but it was something that affected my race and my culture. So mm -hmm. of course I'm going to be passionate about something that's, that's about Absolutely. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but also being, oh, Grace, you're so angry about it. You're so, you know, so being, being put into that box and mm -hmm. having to somehow claw myself out of that and, and now work twice as hard so that they don't think of me as that person or tone myself down way more so that they don't think of me as that kind of person. It's just, it's just different navigation to different areas of life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking of a scenario and of course I just forgot the scenario. So we'll keep going. Okay. Um, no, I just remembered. Okay, so, you know, moving to the US and realizing that the, the narrative of the African-American person is very unique, it's very different, it's very painful, right? And there's a whole, there's several generations of history there. And I was part of a workshop um, for anti-racism training. I wanted to go, I wanted to learn. Um, over the course of 10 years, I took it four different times because I really wanted to understand truly deeply this process. And one of the first workshops that I went to, they were unpacking um, the, the narrative or the story of 
what happens with African-American brothers and sisters and the systemic racism. And I was, you know, I was really broken for them and wanted to stand by them. And I also realized that the, the term people of color and African-American was being used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it was watering down their experience because by, by using them interchangeably, because I was thinking I'm a person of color. I don't relate to the story that she's sharing. I'm not relating to that narrative. And I want to really stand by her and support her in that situation. So after this lady was done sharing her story, I just asked her, I said, um, maybe we could we not use those words interchangeably, African-American and people of color, because your story really matters and we want to honor it. And if we lump us with it, then I don't feel like I can, um, I, I don't relate to that narrative. So I really want to honor your real, so I was being really supportive and I thought very affirming at that moment. Um, and she turned around, shook her finger in my face and started yelling at me and saying, you have no idea what it's like to be a black woman in this country. Mm. And that was my point. Yes, you're right. I, I don't, and I want to support. And I think, you know, that started to teach me that there is a real reason for anger in a lot of people because there's a lot of pain and people yeah. carry the pain differently, you know? So I started to um, just have more dialogue and do more understanding, ask more questions, keep learning, paying attention and, you know, trust with trusted friends as yourself to kind of say, yeah. talk me through this, like why this or why that? Because your lens is going to be different than my lens yeah. and we can you know, I'll just say this word loosely, we can coexist and, you know, learn about each other's cultures and, but I will never experience life as a black woman in this country or any part of the world really. Right. And you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't experience life as an Indian woman either. And so it's really important. I find, and this is why we do the work is because we want to make sure that we're finding things that unite us while we acknowledge what the pain is, what's going on, Mm-hmm. you know, and, and how it affects our relationships, you know? So um, as we were talking about the Asian um, issues that have been happening in this country, I've said for several years, please, can we pay attention to the Asian community as well? Let's love on them in, you know, the mm-hmm. circles that I'm in, not because I'm South Asian. In fact, I purposely haven't used the term South Asian on myself over the years because I just felt like it was going to be that much more divisive in some of the yeah. circles that we were roaming in. Um, mm-hmm. And that allowed me to become more passionate about culture. Mm-hmm. But to my detriment, what I'm discovering is now that the word South Asian and just Asian is in the spotlight, unfortunately, because of these killings, yeah. um, some of the people close to me didn't realize that I'm South Asian. Mm. Right. So now it's getting messy and it's getting kind of like, huh, okay, wow, I must have assimilated quite a bit to not, for them to not realize that. But at the same time, my focus has been on unifying relationships Mm -hmm. and finding Mm -hmm. things that unite us so that we can work together and stand with each other and meet those goals. Yeah. So when we talk about those relationships, right, opportunity to get just a teensy little bit more personal, right, for what (laughs) we want to (laughs) share. So you and I are both in intercultural marriages. And for those who don't know what that means, it's basically two people that get married are from different cultures. And so mm-hmm. in your case, Corey is African-American from born and raised um, on the east side of Michigan. Yep. And then you yourself were born and raised in Kenya and then have come to the US. Yep. Now you're both black on the outside. I know I'm telling you all the facts that you already know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're both black on the outside. And yet how you navigate those cultural nuances and differences in your marriage 
you know, we'd love to hear some of that. Like, what does that look like? And how do you kind of meet each other? And, you know, then we look at my marriage, which I'm mm -hmm. East Indian and I'm brown on the outside and my husband's white Dutch American. So we are actually in an interracial marriage because our races are two different races. Yeah. And when we first got married, there were way too many people telling us that we were going to have major issues in our marriage because of our skin color. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they were wrong. We've had more cultural issues in our marriage <laughs> than we care to discuss. And we've worked them out and we're in a great place today. So can you talk to us a little bit about how do you navigate your cultural differences when you both are the same race? Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't even think I'd ever be married to an American. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that wasn't even... <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't in my go-to, but God had other plans, and I'm he happy did. That he did. Mm -hmm. We love Corey. Uh, yeah, I did too. <laughs> um, yeah, I think our communication is definitely one of the biggest things that we've had to navigate. And I know communication is like a big thing in marriage, whether you are the sure. same race or from different cultures or not. But um, I grew up in a culture that uh, in Kenya or from my experience in my home, let me not speak for the whole country. Um, <laughs> the children's voice is not heard. Mm. Um, so growing up, not knowing really how to express yourself because like you, the kids were to be seen, not heard, right? I yes, think yes, I've that multiple heard. times. Yeah. Um, so learning how to express myself and communicate effectively and efficiently, I think has taken a lot of work in progress um, mm -hmm. versus Corey who... He talks to his parents about anything and everything. Um, he calls them up and they just have conversations that I would not dream um, <laughs> of bringing up. Sometimes it's just because it's so, you know, it's awkward. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a great relationship with my family, with my parents, yeah. but it's just, it's a different, it's different culture. It's a different um, boundaries. Um, so I think learning how to be vulnerable with our, in our marriage and share things that are bothering me in a way that's healthy and that in a way that he will understand has mm -hmm. been um has been quite the experience um and uh even talking to to him about um dowry that has been a big conversation oh, yeah. in our marriage um so for kenyans um Corey is supposed to pay for my dowry um and that's a whole big event <laughs> and it's so much fun um, yeah but he doesn't know what that experience is like because he hasn't done it and he hasn't been to one. Yeah. So, you know, different, ex we, we're going to have, we're going to be excited, excited and excited about different, not excited about different things, you know? Sure. So I'm trying to teach him about my culture and trying for me to learn about his culture. And I think it's just being, I think we've talked about this before, just being students of each other's culture yeah. um, and making sure that if he wants to have a specific food that he grew up with or that his grandparents or his parents cooked for him that we can learn how to make that together. Like we made jambalaya together. It's a whole event, by the way, to make jambalaya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took like three hours. Um, or for him to, you know, learn Swahili, which he's been doing um, and learning um, to love Kenyan food. So we've, we've figured it out a little bit here and there. And I think, I don't know if you, how much you've talked about hot and cold climate um, in your podcast yet, but yeah. not know, much yet. We'll be, we'll be getting to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, if you've read the book for into familiar, you'll know, you'll be, um, you'll be versed with what I'm talking about, but, um, 
yeah, Corey's hot climate with his hospitality. You know, he loves having people over. He does the fridge rights thing that I can't, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, people, That's our phrase. <laughs> people can come and, and go through my fridge if they want to. I'm just gonna, not going to do that to you because I was, that is like a big no-no. In, sure. In, Which in interesting, culture. right? From a cultural yeah. standpoint, like in the Kenyan culture, yeah, there is a thing like fridge rights, right? It's the freedom to come over to your house and there's hospitality, lots of food, sharing the food and enjoy yeah, you, it. Yeah, there's, you can come and you can eat as much as you want, but I, you can't go to somebody's fridge and start like rummaging for food. And so oh, that, yeah, you can't do that. For but those you, of you that are listening, we've actually, the reason we're talking about fridge rights is because in our home, uh, my husband and I, we had that as a staple, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a habit maybe, or, you yeah. know, it was, if you came to our house, once and you came back as a friend or a visitor the next time you had fridge rights which meant you are welcome to go in our fridge and get what you want not sure what you'll find in there but you're welcome to share in our food and um now we're not talking about the mailman so let's please be clear (laughs) you've come over as a friend and a visitor well then you get fridge rights and that just says all of our stuff is there to share and a lot of that's our cultural some of my cultural stuff that we brought into our marriage so that's what we're laughing about here with Fridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Corey was able to do that. And I could not, I, I was not able to go to Kenita's <laughs> fridge and just rummage through. Yeah. Um, I remember that he used to say, Oh, we have fridge rights. I'm allowed to pick stuff out of her snack cupboard. <laughs> I'm like, yep, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the cultural differences just show up in the places that you wouldn't even expect, you know, sure. like you're just going through life very normally. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, is that a Kenyan thing? Or is that an American thing? Because, yeah. you know, I was not expecting that. Like today I was making dinner, side note, and one of the knives was dull and I knew how to sharpen it. And Corey didn't know how to sharpen a knife. And it's just because I've seen it done before with my oh. dad has done it. My grandparents have done it. I've just seen it done before. Sure. And I was teaching him how to like, you know, sharpen the knife and he was learning and stuff. And it's like, he's, yeah, for him, as an American and as a boy too, it's like, you don't go out near sharp things, Yeah, you know? But when he was in Kenya, he saw my eight-year-old cousin peeling (laughs) potatoes (laughs) and she knew how to use a knife. Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah. And I think also with the, with the American versus Kenyan, it's like, if I was probably in a typical Kenyan marriage, we would probably have very defined gender roles. Sure. Um, And we just, we don't really have that in our, in our marriage. Corey does a lot of laundry. um, And you fold them. (laughs) <laughs> very, I, I fold it, uh, which I'm very good. He cleans a lot, you know, and I, yeah. when I went, when we went to Kenya together, um, I met with some women um, from the, from the community and they were saying, oh, it's so nice that you, you know, your American husband, you can, if you're late for work, he'll just start dinner. He'll start cooking. He knows what mm-hmm. to do. At least he mm-hmm. can make food for himself. My husband just sits there and waits for me to come home <laughs> to, to make dinner. Um, Although, so, hey, you know what? I know a lot of American couples where that's happening as well. So yeah. they might be able to fit into Kenyan culture a little bit more. They think they would fit in perfectly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you referred to the book, um, Foreign to Familiar and absolutely. And for my listeners to know that Grace was actually very instrumental in helping me get SEMA Global Consulting off the ground because this was the core of our work. It started with understanding culture and looking at hot and cold climate and how that impacted our relationships. And so I just, it's been such a blessing to have you on here and for you to bring up the book. That's really helpful. It is about hot and cold climate. And in general, you know, um, hot climate cultures are ones that are um, east and south of the border of uh, sorry uh, east and south of the equator and anything north and west of the equator is generally 
climate-wise colder. And so thus the, the behaviors and the attitudes that come out of those cultures um, starts to become the norm and there's a general norm, but then you meet folks like Grace who is Kenyan, but has a lot, and that's hot climate, but has more cold climate traits. So if people are interested in the workshop that we do to help unpack that and in ways that help us understand bias and address other things that um, affect our relationships and cause us to have feelings of discomfort, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. yeah. around yeah. people that are different than us, then you know, shoot us an email through the contact page and we can unpack it with you as to how we might do a workshop for you around this topic of culture and um, helping folks be a lot more effective in their relationships. Um, yeah, we actually, I love that conversation. You and I could go on for hours about cultural stuff, right? And um, even in our, you know, just to highlight some things in our marriage, realizing that, um, so respect is a really high um, mm -hmm. non-negotiable in Indian culture, right? It's kind of at the top. And in generally in hot climate cultures, it's, it's respect is something that you just give. It doesn't have to be earned. Um, unlike in cold climate cultures, generally it has to be earned. Mm -hmm. And so we would, we were fighting about that or arguing <laughs> passionately um, about <laughs> respect and how I was really somewhat demanding it of our sons um, and our sons are biracial, but I was, I was almost demanding that respect and I wouldn't recommend demanding. Uh, I would recommend <laughs> <laughs> teaching your kids how to respect. And so eventually they've all become great, respectful young adults. But during those seasons, when they were smaller, it would really frustrate me. And, and my husband was like, why? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. So then we started to un unpack it from a cultural lens. And from that day forward, he changed his language. He changed the interaction of how it was going and he was watching for it and realized that, okay, what's important in Kenita's culture needs to start being important to me. Mm -hmm. and, and for me to realize what's important in Ken's culture, my husband's culture also needs to be important to me. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it a hundred percent, but there's that mutual assimilation, right? We can, mm -hmm. I think we just invented a new word, mutual assimilation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I, I think we said, yeah, coming closer to the middle. Yep, come closer to the middle. That's kind of our key phrase that we use a lot when we do our workshops and yeah. helping people, giving them the tools on how to do that. And so like you mentioned, Grace, you said communication was key and being students of our spouses, of our partners, of our friends, right? Yeah. And that goes mm -hmm. both ways. That's really crucial for friends to pay attention. Who yeah. are the people in your life? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you staying only with a select group of folks that look the same, sound the same, act the same, you know, and eventually right. often make the same decisions and, you know, kind of consider bigger issues in the same way. And yeah. so really important. I, you know, one of the things I've really appreciated of your story, Grace, is when you were in college and all your roommates and all of them, I think just about all of them were international students. Yep. And we had all of you over to our house on several occasions and just to watch the beauty and the connectedness. And to this day, you're still staying connected to a lot of those friends, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're, Corey calls us like the group of friends, like the show friends, because we'll be connected no matter where we go and we're, no yes. matter where we live. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true. And it was so beautiful to watch that. And I think that's what I long for in a lot of not only my own relationships, but that just uh, people in general in communities who, you know, want to learn to love their neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, my encouragement would be that they would learn to be better friends 
Mm -hmm. And and I'm saying that in the context of being an ally, but an ally still suggests that the other person has more power than we do. Mm, and so yeah. I think we want to be careful and not use the word ally all the time, but I understand why we need to have allies for people to stand in those gaps. But I yeah. think learning to be better friends and learning to be, you know, understanding culture for each other and um, yeah. for different folks. But yeah, and even when we talk about communication I know I talked about it just in like sharing like what we feel and emotions or what we need or want but I think it's also learning that if I say something like if if it sounds weird or if it sounds different like okay there's so many layers you have to go through as a black person but also as a person from another culture so like when we communicate whether it's to our friends or if it's for me and and Corey like when we communicate it's not just that one thing is said you have to go through you have to filter it through so many layers Sure. Oh, you're saying this. Are you saying this because of the fact that you grew up this way and this is like a Kenyan thing? Are you saying this because of another filter you have to go through? And it's the same thing with friendships, right? And that's why it's important to be able to have that really good communication so you can let people know how you can be there for them and how they can be there for you um, and be able to communicate those needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I think that goes both ways, right? Like if we're communicating needs that we have, um, our, our, the friends or people in our communities, are they remembering those needs and stepping into those gaps, you know? Mm -hmm. And so speaking into someone's life or just saying, hey, let me step into the mess with you instead of always waiting for the other person to come in and, um, you know, expect that that's what's going to happen in their culture because so many cultures are very private and they're not going to step into someone else's culture. I think of um, the, the idea of the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do to you which is great, but from a cultural standpoint, we need to think about the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they need you to do for them, mm. right? And that's kind of how we're breaking it down right now with culture and talking about how when we can understand each other, uh, we get to then be students of each other and yep. learn and grow. Uh, yeah. Are there any things that you want to just share about maybe um, were there any similarities that you experienced in Kenya that's common here in the U.S.? Were there, or was it an extremely stark difference? You know, are there any commonalities that maybe you can draw from your experiences? And while you're thinking about that, you know, I was thinking of like, I grew up in, I was born in India, but then grew up in Canada and then lived in the U.S. And my assumption, very strong assumption and very strong <laughs> assumption was that the U.S. is just bigger than Canada. And um, there's a whole lot of other layers that came with that. So yeah, yeah. I learned quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man, I think it's so much um, easier for me to see the differences. Okay. Um, I think because it's very rare that I'm in a space that I feel like I belong living here. So like I have to have, I've obviously found my safe friends and spaces and, um, to be, but yeah, I think it's, it's for me, the differences are what sticks out the most. Um, and I think we already talked about this, but hospitality looks very different. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to call, like in Kenya, you don't have to call before you show up. You just, sure. if you walk, if you're in the neighborhood, you just show up to somebody's house. And if you happen to be there during dinner or lunchtime, then they'll cook for you. You'll have, oh man, you'll have, you'll have lots of chai, um, you know, and it'll, you'll just be there for hours, even though, oh, I was just in the neighborhood an hour turns into three turns into oh know, I dream of that I have longed for that for so many years and I would tell my husband like 
<laughs> Should we just stop by so and so's house? And he's like, "Oh, we couldn't do that. They wouldn't. I'm like, oh, that's true. They wouldn't appreciate that, you know." And I've just yeah. longed for that to come for people to do that back to us, but that doesn't happen. We're very structured. We're very organized. Yeah, in yeah you have to you have to warn people that you're that you're showing up, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um. So that was one, and I think the one that most recently that um, Corey and I have talked about was how it takes a village, whether it's um, with issues that somebody's going through or a yeah. hardship that they're going through whether it's like raising kids I think you and I had this conversation recently. we did have this conversation because um, I was really struggling and saying where is my yeah. village I don't understand yeah. I'm not experiencing that kind of village you know mm-hmm. and some of that was based in culture some of that was based in forced assimilation where yeah. people were expecting me to do um the way that they would have done it and without the same resources or you know whatever mm-hmm. else so yeah that way yeah, even when um, we have friends with little kids and my instinct sometimes is to be like, oh, don't do that. Or don't, but I'm like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be the fun auntie. I'm not supposed to be like the disciplinarian yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be disciplining them. I'm just supposed to, but it's like, it's like ingrained in me. I cannot yeah. help it. It just oh, my it comes out so naturally. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, and boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I have to suppress it. it. <laughs> yeah, we had, we were having a Zoom call with some friends in India um, a couple months ago and their daughter jumped on, but it was like she should have been in bed it was almost 11 o'clock and she's at the time she was like two and a half or three and so she's up in the window in the mirror or in the uh, computer looking at us and making faces and she's like hi auntie hi uncle and I'm like girl go to bed you know I was thinking I'm so tired your mom and daddy are so tired so I looked at her and I said you need to go to bed and I just kind of shook my finger at her and I wasn't smiling oh she burst into tears and I'm like oh Oh, no no. just between me auntie (laughs) so her her dad was telling me later he goes uh oh, now you're in trouble. <laughs> you're gonna have to make up nicer when you come home, come here, you know. So that was funny. Yeah, but it was, you know, when I was growing up, it was so normal that if a neighbor person saw that I was misbehaving, I would yeah. be disciplined right there and there, and my parents right. would know about it, and I would be disciplined then too. So, you know. Yeah. So you're referring to that in the context of the village, right? The village, the village helps raise the kids. And yeah, yeah I, I have a memory of that too when our kids were little. And I remember saying we were in a playgroup or something, and this other little kid did something. And I kindly, very nicely, just told the little child, like, please stop doing that. And the mom got mad at me because yeah. don't talk to my son that way. I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we don't do that here. <laughs> I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. Been- Lots of great stuff. So, wow, we could keep going on for hours because actually when you talked about belonging, that introduces the next topic of inclusion, right? So, which is different than um, kind of where we're we're at right now. So uh, I just really appreciate having you on here today. Are there any closing comments that you just want people to leave with and understand, you know, have a sense of what might be a takeaway for them? Um, I guess just continue growing and learning, you know, um, continue asking questions, continue having really hard conversations. Like I said, in the last um, year or so, I've had really, really difficult conversations um, around race and culture, and some of it has gone really well, and people have grown from it, and we've grown closer, and our friendship has um, really bonded from that. Um, So continue to um, dig deeper and um, yeah just thrive in those relationships and don't be scared to have uncomfortable conversations because that's where growth happens that's awesome thank you so much grace I really appreciate you, you having, being here today 
Um, and I just want to say to my listeners, thank you for following with us. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We really appreciate you. And here's to growing forward together as we all find effective ways to unite people rather than divide. So keep learning, everybody. And um, we look forward to hearing from you at our website. Feel free to head on over to SEMA Global Consulting. You will find the blog and uh, some of the transcripts from our conversation there and ways in which that you might be able to get in touch with Grace if you are interested in any of the work that the Dwelling Place in Grand Rapids does for the community. So thank you again for joining us. Here's to growing forward together. Have a blessed day.